And we're back on Radio Outlook here on WVKO 1580 AM, your source for great local Babylon talk. That's GLBT Radio in Central Ohio. I'm Michael Daniels. I'm Chris Hayes. I'm Adam Letty. And we should have joining us Adam Lippy on the line. So this week in Outlook, for everyone out there, if you haven't picked up the issue this week, is on gay conversion therapy. And um, one of our contributing writers, Adam Lippy, um, not to be confused with Adam Letty, who's in the studio, did an under, undercover investigation of sorts of the gay conversion therapies here in town. And why don't you talk about uh, how, that, how that came about and how you even got involved in thinking you might want to do it. Well, I have a friend who went through that for eight years, and I was fascinated, and I wanted him to write a book or do something with it, and he didn't think it was all that interesting, but I did. So um, I decided to, to do a whole series of articles on it. The first article ran a few months ago, and this longer one ran uh, this week. Um, and he ended up driving me to the first set of meetings at a rather large church in an unnamed place. He explained to me how it would go, but I was kind of unprepared for just how closed off people would be. And the most distressing thing, that while you would think you'd run into really stupid people, there was no one I met there who was really dumb. They had just shamed themselves into convincing themselves that they were bad people. So generally what happens is you'd you'd sit and they would lecture at you for about an hour, an hour and a half, and then you go into separate groups where you discuss your sins for the week for the remainder of the class. The first time I went, it was four hours. And it just wow. <laughs> went on and on. Now what? And basically, what, I was going to say what? Now what denomin? How many of different um, denominations of churches of these groups did you attend? Or do you know how many are here in town? And which ones did you actually go to? I'm allowed to name them. Okay. Sure. Um, all right. Well, I went to Vineyard, which is in Westerville, and I went to. Um, Another one called Bridge of Hope, which is a which is a more focused and smaller one. The, the first one I went to at Vineyard called Integrity Men. They don't specialize necessarily in homosexuality, though, though they do have, you know, you do admit to that sort of thing. Though only one other person in my group did. Um, there was people there for uh, suffering from masturbation, suffering from sex dreams, suffering from sexual thoughts related to sex dreams. And uh, one guy, as I wrote about my first article, who, and I'm not misquoting, he said he was having he was having an affair. He was cheating on his wife with his wife. How do you even do that? I never figured it out. It was never explored. That was one of the really difficult things for me in understanding what was going on, is that people would say these really vague things and never explain any of them. And it was assumed that they were having conversations on the side with the group leader, who was, in fact, the leader of the entire group, who had gone through his conversion years before and it's important to point out i think adam in this that you are straight and yes. so you basically this was a whole cloak and dagger operation where you went in and pretended to be having these gay feelings and blah 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 but from what you describe with this whole side conversations with the group leader it sounds very cult-like did you get that feeling that it that I, you were like I being re- inside of a cult i really did and especially in the application process I was first handed this three-and-a-half-page application, and in the second group I also was handed another very long application, and they were pretty similar, but they both start out with a very disturbing clause. They do say that, you know, this is private and, you know, this is so you can reveal, you know, feel comfortable revealing, and then the first page is basically saying, well, no matter what you say, and, you know, we, we, if we feel the need to, we will reveal 
all the information you told us to either the police, your pastor, or anyone you listed as your emergency contact. They don't even have to tell you that. And it went on like that, and the questions get more and more invasive, and I got this Scientology field throughout it, like they're waiting for you to reveal all your inner secrets, and then if you try to get out, they're going to you know, blackmail you with them or somehow. So maybe that's why people were partially uptight, but I don't think that's why. I think they're just so uptight because they are trying to you know, hold themselves in so they, they're not their natural not, not their natural selves. I, I think it's important to point out, too, that this all came about because of your friend, and it started just because you kind of wanted to, to understand more about it, and as you got into it, it developed into this huge, you know, I mean, your piece this week is over almost 7,000 words. The first one was 1,500. You probably could have gone on for another 10,000 if, if we let you go. But your investigation wasn't necessarily... I want to make sure people understand it wasn't ill-hearted. You weren't out to get these guys that think that they that don't know themselves, per se. No, and in fact, I felt really bad for them, and it was pretty hard for me not to just, you know, take them aside and say, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You're, you're perfectly fine. You shouldn't feel shame over all these things. And, and the worst part is that I don't think that there was anyone who was sort of mean-spirited about it. I think they're all just misguided, but they've done it to themselves. It's I think I described in the first article as a pyramid scheme with no one at the top. So everyone just suffers at the bottom, including the leader of the group, who, you know, seems so proud of his testimony in which someone reveals all of their sins that he gave me two copies to listen to, one for me and one for my family, to listen to all his sins that he had committed over the years. Adam, I, I think a lot of people, you know, they hear about Exodus International and some of these others, and they, they I don't think they have a realistic... Um, conception of what actually goes on. I think a lot of people think that, uh, you know, it's maybe more lurid and sensational than it actually is, full of, you know, daily faith healings and that sort of thing. But it sounds like the, the process here is actually a lot of work, a lot of legwork. Can you, uh, can you tell us more about, I guess, sort of the, uh, the grunt work that goes into, um, I guess, completing a conversion from, from gay to, to straight? Well, it's a huge process. I mean, I have a schedule here, and it's um, some of them are listed as 30-week sessions, you know, once a week you go in and for 30 weeks. And on this particular one, it seems to go on for several years. And it's very specific on how it's laid out, and they don't have this, they don't repeat subjects. So if you miss one, you missed it. So, <laughs> I miss fellatio. I guess right. that's okay for me <laughs> right. to keep doing. Well, I mean, the first one I went to is lab- labeled as sin of abuse. And the the guy stood up, and he the first thing he said was, everyone in here was abused. You know, if as children, basically. And if nobody thinks that they were abused, then they're just holding it back and they're, they're blocking it out of their head. And I'm thinking, I wasn't abused, but then again, you know, I'm not really there. And I, I got sort of, I saw puzzled looks around, but I, I think since people want to believe what, what they're being told, it helps them a lot. Yeah. So they'll believe anything. And since I was on the outside and skeptical, I was confused as to why this would be convincing at all, because what they did was like a neat little trick where they would explain, they would give you a lecture for like an hour, and they would explain really, really simple topics that everyone understands in order for you to feel like you were on their side, and then they would lay in all the guilt right underneath it. So it's like, oh, I understand that, and now I understand the guilt. And I was still mystified because I didn't know why we were being insulted for 45 minutes before we were told what bad people we were. I'm curious, Adam, about <clears throat> the, the programs that you know are, start at 30 weeks and can potentially go on for years and years. Mm-hmm. Was there 
I mean, is there any sort of, of, of a money-making aspect to this? Were you asked to pay for these classes, or is this something that these organizations that do them really believe in and they're funding them through other sources? No, at the integrity.men, no, you do, do not have to pay except for their booklet, which is $25, which I guess is sort of a pittance considering how long the course goes on for. And it's just their, you know, the detailed version of what they're saying and what you, what in terms of the schedule. But no, there's no real money in it at the bottom, but what, to me, it seemed like this. It was a lot more honest and less insidious when evangelical Christians hated gays out in the open. And this is more like you're at the zoo and you're pointing at them and you're, oh, they're nice, but don't touch them, don't talk to them, don't interact with them. They're, they're fine people, but, but what we're going to have to do is try change them so, so they're more acceptable to us. Like so, Ann Coulter wants to do with the Jews. Exactly. We, want to, we just want to perfect them. Right. Okay. It, it's, it seems to me more harmful in that way that it's not just they hate them, but they're pretending they don't, but they still do, and they haven't let their members know. And so this is their way of designing some program wherein they can convert them while putting a nice face on it. It reminded me of there was a, there's a book called Them, um, Adventures with Extremists by John Ronson, and he goes around with, with various types of extremists, and there's one section where he goes around with the, the, the KKK, and they're trying to put a nice face on the KKK, and so they're not going to say certain words anymore in public because they want, they want to have good press. So they're just going to be known as white positive instead of black negative, even though it's exactly the same idea. Wow. Wow. Uh, Adam, can you... Uh... Can you tell us a little bit? I mean, what sort of in the, in the people that you've talked to who have uh, who have gone through this, what sort of long term effects does this have, even on the people who have since come to uh, to embrace who they are and to reject the the efforts of the conversion therapists? What sort of lingering effects does this have on them? Well, there's a lot of you know hatred and self doubt for a year, and it's funny that in the application they say, "Have you recently tried to commit suicide?" Well, I think after this process, anyone even getting out of it, they don't even feel who they are for a long time until they're willing to accept who they are. And it, you know, sometimes takes a year or two of, you know, no interaction with people, just kind of being closed off and depressed. And it seems almost like a breakup in, in the way that, you know, you don't want to be around anyone except you break, you've broken up with the world and you don't understand. And there's no one you can talk to because, because this is sort of a, a secret society that you're that you're not supposed to reveal that you're in. In fact, at one point, um, I was with my girlfriend on a high street, and I walked past this guy that I was in one of the groups with, and I had actually talked to him privately for about 30 minutes, and he gave me this sort of wink of acknowledgement, like I know who you are and you know who I am, and you're with your girlfriend, so clearly our conversion therapy is working. Okay, I have a very good friend um, who went through, I think, the Exodus program, which actually does cost thousands upon thousands of dollars. And he ended up coming out, and he's, I mean, he's gay, very gay. And, um, you know, I, it was his experience through that that actually confirmed for him, I think, was the last confirmation that he was okay to be gay, that, that the whole thing was ridiculous. Did you see any of that where actually people that are going through this kind of, it's their one last best hope to not be gay, but then actually confirms or reaffirms that they're fine just the way they are because everything's ridiculous? Well, I, what I would try to do in the groups, especially after I knew my first article was coming out when I was at Vineyard, the second time I used it as an excuse to air my grievances under the guise of, 
I'm just asking questions and I'm curious. Basically, I would tell everyone how, it, how everything appeared and why I was confused, and I would make sure to remind them that they, they don't look very happy. And all this stuff that they're, that they're holding in, it, they just seem kind of miserable. Right. And so what would happen is that after I would say something, people would loosen up a little bit, and then one of the group leaders would tell me either, well, that's your view and you should stick with it. Or there would be some level of additional guilt laid on the person who felt more comfortable for a minute. And it was especially obvious in the second group, uh, Bridge of Hope, where I didn't intend it to happen, but it basically became two hours of me debating Bible excerpts with the leader of the group. And I didn't intend it, but he would, because I was the only one who didn't understand, you know, basically I was not in line with what they wanted. So, therefore, I could not understand. I could not have their point of view because I was not an evangelical Christian, which meant that the reading that we had done for the class could not be interpreted from the outside. It was just to be told to us what it meant. And my objections to the material, even just as I found the material sort of misogynist and hateful, nothing to do with homosexuality at all, but I was just told that, that I was wrong and it's, you know, was I even in the right place? Because I pretended to be there for, you know, having a sexual addiction. And I would ask questions. I said, well, what's wrong with being here? Because you guys think you all have a sexual addiction. And how is it different from a 12-step program? And would say, you know, AA, where you do have to give yourself to God in order to complete the program, what's different here? And then they would try to weave their way out of my question. But, of course, they never really answer questions. They just talk in circles. So you never really know where they stand you only know what they've convinced themselves of. Right. Adam, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, 12-step programs. I mean, how does this work? I mean, if you, do you have a sponsor for becoming straight? I mean, if you get a, a homosexual desire at 2 in the morning, is there someone that you can call and, and talk to about it? I mean, how is that the structure of this? Is there that kind of support um, for your daily life? I mean, is, is, it, is it that complete, or is it just a place that you go to at an assigned time to complete a certain program? Well, a friend who I interviewed for this piece, he did have a sponsor, and one of the things he told me that did end up in the story is, you know, one of the things that ended his need to go to these meetings was that the night before a meeting, apparently the guy who he was sponsoring had snuck into a girl's room and raped her, a teenager. And he then told my friend about it. And my friend said, what the hell am I doing here? I'm not a rapist. That's the problem is that they... Everyone is sort of in the same boat, no matter if you're a rapist. I mean, there was one guy there who was addicted to crossword puzzles. Rapists, rapist, crossword puzzles, and homosexuals. Yeah. Right. Wow. It's all, addi- it's all addiction. It's all, they're calling sexual brokenness. I guess, you know, crossword puzzles would be vocabulary brokenness or something. Ooh. But it was all the same. Everyone was the same, but in the wrong way, like in the way that you should separate people if they have different types of dysfunction, you can't cure everyone with the same treatment. Right. Like, you know, you're, the same hepatitis is not treated in the same way that cancer is, but apparently, according to these people, it is. Right. And we actually have a caller on the line. Let's jump on to Britt, who is joining us. Britt, are you with us? Yes, I am. Did you just lose that? I had a question for the guest uh, and a comment. It sounds like this is uh, like uh, induced spiritual psychosis. Uh, and I was wondering, is, is this material that's being put in, uh, is it, what kind of bias does it have? And 
Well, Britt, we've, unfortunately, we've lost Adam, and hopefully he'll call back no. in here. And that's okay. He'll, he'll call back in here in just a second. The little red blinky lights are, uh, um, we're, we're anxiously looking at the board, waiting for them to blink. But in terms of what Adam had, had told us, um, uh, all, all of this material was basically, I mean, everything was equivalent. If you, um, felt the need to masturbate, if you had a sexual thought, if you watched a television commercial and saw someone that you thought was attractive. Um, if you were married, doing any of those things was considered cheating on your wife. If you weren't married, doing any of those things was considered cheating on your future wife. Right. Um, so everything was um, uh, this absolute sort of uh, purity of thought, very, very monotonous any of these feelings that you had. And, and as Adam points out, there were people there who, as he said, you know, were addicted to crossword puzzles. Any sort of, of um, seemingly to me, anything that you did that you enjoyed, but that right. you felt the least bit of guilt about, like uh, I'm doing crossword puzzles at my desk and I'm not really working for my employer, um, that was, then, that was trans- transferred and, and, and transmuted transubstantiated into uh, you were cheating on your employer, you were, you know, doing all these bad things. I think we have Adam back. Uh, we only have one set of lights again. Did we lose Britt? Who do we have? All right, okay. we have Adam back, but we've lost Britt. Adam? Yes. Um, our caller was asking um, it, the this material about uh, how how it was phrased and whether this, you know, sort of an overall, um, I don't want to say brainwashing, but but sort of um, indoctrination, if you will. And, and can you describe some of the materials that you were given and, and how they were presented? Sure. The manual in integrity.men, the larger group, where there were, at least during the lecture, probably about 60 or 70 people. And, and I should, you know, mention again that they're all white, which I thought was sort of an interesting Thing because as I wrote in the article, in this country it appears that white Christians have not been vilified overall as Jews, homosexuals, blacks. You know, they have never been the victim, so they're choosing to be the victim themselves. So the anger is inward. So that's why it's, everyone there was white. But yes, there, we were lectured at for about an hour and a half, and then they had a sort of pre-prepared text that we were supposed to read outside. The second group was more specific. They, get, we, they told us to get this book called Maximize Manhood by a pastor named Edwin Cole. And, you know, that's the one I described as sort of misogynist and angry. But what's interesting is that the text was written in 1982, and it couldn't be less relevant. It's very dated. And most of the things we're reading are very dated. So they're going, I mean, yes, the Bible can be considered very dated as well, but you wouldn't, in, in school, you wouldn't read textbooks from the 1920s because things have changed since then. It's the same concept that most of the ideas and social acceptance have changed the, the meaning of what the book was initially intended to be. And uh, we have Britt joining us again. Are you on there, Britt? Yes, I am. Oh, look, we've got everybody back. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Teleconference. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to ask Adam this. Uh, did you feel yourself that uh, if you didn't uh, say what they wanted to say, that they would claim that you were in denial? Only at first. It felt more like I was being ostracized for having a different view, um, not that I would be told that I was in denial. When uh, There was a couple of times where I would try to be helpful. Believe it or not, there was this long debate about the fact that this one kid who couldn't have been more than 20, um, he had had sex with his girlfriend, and he, he felt that he should break up with her because of this. And so we had a 15-minute discussion about how he could change his phone number 
so she couldn't call him and he wouldn't be tempted to. And yeah. the 15-minute discussion was basically how he could convince his cell phone company that he could change his number and not be charged. And any suggestion you make that, you know, you try to help, you know, yes, I know that's a strange thing to try to help somebody with. I was shushed a couple of times by yeah. people who were new to the group. So I guess if you're willing to take to it, it's pretty quick. And anybody who's a naysayer is kind of shot down pretty fast. So I guess if you keep, if you keep getting shot down, either you leave or you realize, well, maybe I'm wrong. So let me ask you one more thing, uh, and I'll, then I'll, I'll let uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you back the show. <laughs> uh, uh, did you feel that it was rather easy to lose your sense of self? I guess you know, since I wasn't really willing, and I was just observing. Yeah. It, or could you see it in others? I could, and uh, one of the people I spoke with, I guess, who was my sponsor, and he, the funny thing was, in Integrity Men, they actually tell you that you're not to communicate with anybody outside the class except the guy who leads the group. Huh. So he can basically control all the communication. You're giving your so, control over to that sponsor. So, we, you know, I ignored that, and I talked to one of the only other guys there who admitted that he was struggling with homosexuality. And I could see in talking to him for a long time that, um, you know, about an hour each time on the phone, that, that he was denying himself. And part of it was... Yes, he was having an, a sexual problem, but he felt really guilty about other things, and yeah. sex was just being blamed for it. And that's very common around, uh, you know, with, with these people is that homosexuality is just something that they are, they're just, they're gay, but then there's other problems in their life, so they decide that the fault must be laid at the feet of homosexuality, and so that's all the evil. All the problems that they ever had are all tied into that, to the. Exactly, yeah. That's that's sad. Britt, thanks for joining us this morning. We're gonna we're gonna wrap up here with Adam, and we're gonna have to head toward break. But Adam, I find it's really interesting that that is sort of the tack on this of um, scapegoating your homosexuality for any other issues. Well, I, I do too, and uh, I thought it was kind of sad, and I wish I could have said more in the group without being outed. Yeah. Any final thoughts on the whole thing before we go to break? Yes. There's a website called BeyondXGay.com that I discovered. That is where people go to recover from going through XK conversion. And I found it very interesting. There was, you know, articles, art, there's movies you could watch, links, poetry. There's even a glossary on various terms. So anybody who was struggling with this and it was just coming out of XK conversion, try beyondxk.com. Excellent. Thank you so much for calling in. I'll be talking to you this week. Absolutely. Folks, that was Adam Lippy, who went undercover for several months working on this article for us. You can read it in its entirety in this week's Outlook Weekly or online at outlookweekly.net. Once you've done so, if you've got any questions for Adam, please feel free to email us at Outlook, and we'll make sure and get them to Adam and try to get you guys in contact. Uh, when we come back, we will be talking about all the different things going on around town in Columbus for the next half an hour, including the Victorian Village uh, tour of homes and what is a drag king. You're listening to Radio Outlook on WVKO 1580 AM.